And uh, we're going to have an opportunity to be able to hear from some of our uh, partners uh, on the other side of the globe, actually. Bakash is here, who is uh, from Nepal. And some of us know Bakash. We're in the middle of uh, uh, a translation uh, in, into, into the Tibetan language of scriptures. And uh, we're about halfway towards completing uh, that as far as people uh, pledging to that. And uh, you'll understand the relevance of that as the morning goes on. But this morning, we're kicking off a series in Galatians, and the theme of it is on living free. You'll see in many commentaries and books on it, the word free is in the title of most, uh, most uh, books that talk about the book of Galatians, appropriately so. First of all, Paul, Paul the apostle, was referred to, F.F. F. Bruce calls him the apostle of the heart set free. So the sense of us having freedom in our relationship with God as a, as a result of uh, what uh, Christ did on the cross is a prevalent part of what Paul preaches on and teaches on. In fact, you can find oftentimes in Scripture when you see the word free or freedom or words that are associated with it, actually in Paul's letters, the, his writings, 28 different times he references this theme of freedom that we have in Christ, as opposed to all the rest of the New Testament where we see that word free or freedom used only eight times. So this is a big deal for Paul. It matters a lot to him that we understand what Christian freedom is all about. In fact, in the book of Galatians, which is a relatively small book, uh, it is referenced 10 different times compared to Romans, where it's referenced seven times, much larger, more substantial theological book, actually, and 1 Corinthians, also seven times. So right in the book of Galatians, just in this concentrated section, we know that Paul wants us to understand what it means for us to live uh, in Christian freedom, to understand it, to grasp it, and have it impact the way we, we live along the way. So we're going to talk about what that looks like in all of the... Uh, uh, um, all of the ways that God wants to make sure that we understand that and appropriate that in our lives. But the book of Galatians starts out, and I would actually encourage you to read it uh, over and over again in the next number of weeks as we move towards Easter, and there'll be some great themes that reference uh, God's freedom that uh, matter as far as Easter is concerned. And then we go several weeks after that as well, too. So I would just say, just immerse yourself in the book of Galatians. And one of the things you'll see, besides the theme of freedom, is you'll see early on at least, just uh, uh, Paul is just right to the point of anger. He is upset with religious people that have gone into these churches that he was a part of planting in the region of Galatia. And he did all of this teaching about, about what it means to uh, honor God, worship God, and what Christ has done for us. And uh, behind him come these religious people that are messing it all up again. You can just sense how upset Paul is as he's walking through this. In fact, even in his introduction, he talks about the critical issue that he wants us to understand, that he wants the Galatians to understand. And in verses 1 through 4, 5, you see at least, it's, it's more than an introduction, there's actually uh, something that he says there that we must grasp because the, the, uh, the opponent to freedom uh, is bondage in sin and slavery. And he says, don't go there. In fact, in verse 4, we read this. It speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. In fact, it was Martin Luther who said this, that this is the entire epistle compressed into one phrase, and it's this. It is God's will to deliver us from the present evil age. Take the whole epistle, 
compress it into a phrase, and that's it. It is God's will to deliver us from this present evil age. You see, the counterpoint to freedom is bondage. And bondage is what occurs when we fall victim to what happens by living in this present evil age apart from what it is that Jesus Christ can do in our lives. I want to just say a couple things about this, and then I want to have Bakash and Drew come up and share by way of illustration God's, God's impact around the world. The first is this, and, and we have to do some catching up because Paul spent some time with the Galatian Christians and they've had all of this already downloaded. So he doesn't have to say it again in the letter. They understand this, but we have to catch up with that uh, and be reminded of what it is that he was talking about in regards to this present evil age because he starts there and then he talks about freedom going forward. Where does he start? What does he say? What do we need to know about this present evil age? Well, we can go elsewhere in his epistles and other places in scripture and find out what the characteristic is of this present evil age. And the first thing we will learn is this, is there is a person who, who, who creates evil in this world. This is a personal. Evil is personal. Uh, Peter speaks about uh, the personal nature of evil when he talks about us being careful. In fact, he says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he talks about your inner, in, enemy and his. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's personal. There is a personal entity called Satan or the devil, and his agenda is to destroy us and the world. His intention is to wreak havoc on the world by creating a place where there is present evil in this age. And uh, Paul also speaks about this elsewhere. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he refers to the faithfulness of the Lord and the strength that God provides and his protection, but he protects us, Paul says, from the evil one. What does this mean? It means this. It's, it means that when you are faced with difficulties, challenges, feeling like you're in prison, guess what? It didn't happen randomly. There is actually a person whose very intention in your life and mine is to destroy it. This is not random havoc. This is a person who intends to ruin everything that God wants to have be true. For us to live in newness of life, for us to live with the freedom that comes as a result of the gospel. There is an evil one with an agenda and it is to ruin us. And we live in that present evil age. Now what does that present evil age look like? How is it characterized? We'll get into this as we go through, as we go through Galatians, but it's not going to go away. It's orchestrated by the evil one, and it is constant. In fact, when Paul refers to the deliverance or the rescue that God provides in it, it doesn't denote the removal from evil, but simply the rescue from the power of it. We will live in it through the whole age that we live here on earth. We will see it. We will, we will no, notice that we will be subjected to it. But the power of that it has in our life is what God rescues us from. We will see it manifests itself over and over again through the course of your life. You don't just come to faith in Christ and the present evil age disappears. No, it will always be here and among us. 
And beyond that, it's present, meaning it's pervasive. It's, it's everywhere. Satan will use everything to wreak havoc and destroy your life and the life of those around you. He even talks about it elsewhere in Scripture. He will, he will use youthful exuberance, as he talks about in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, what, what more vulnerable audience is there than a young person who is exuberant and just takes off with all of that, and Satan turns it sideways and uses it to be destructive in their life. But he doesn't only use youthful exuberance. He uses uh, aged cynicism where I find myself on the other side of that. And, and what Satan can use in my life, because I've seen it, I've seen the world, and, and that cynicism that Satan can just take and use and say, I'm going to use that to wreak havoc in your life, Mark. He will use success, and he will use failure. He will use energy, and he will use lack of it. He'll use it all. He will use the person who shakes their fist at God and he will use the person who waves their holy book at people. Even that, even that he'll use. Paul saw all of it. He saw the messed up stuff and he saw the, the, the religious types and he saw what Satan would do to wreak havoc in people's lives regardless of where they were. He is an evil one and he will destroy. Paul's assurance to us in the midst of this is that um, God is our Father, and he gave to us the Lord Jesus Christ to rescue us from the present evil age and to take our sinfulness from us and give us the ability to walk in newness of life. What does this mean? This means that Jesus is more than just a friend to us. And for those of us that walk into a church or walk into our faith and we just say, I'm so glad Jesus is a friend. Guess what? I need more than a friend. I need a savior. That's what I need. I need someone to rescue me from my sin. Not just someone who is a good friend. He is the savior. He is the one who rescues me and saves me. This is important. It's important that he is our savior. It means, too, in regards to my life and the way I live my life and I talk about my faith, it isn't basically one religious preference against another religious preference, and let's just see who can, who can be most compelling. This isn't a matter of us just sharing a religious preference. This is a matter of the evil one using all sorts of religious preferences. All sorts of religious preferences, even, even the ones I grew up in, to mess me up and mess others up. The world needs the Father who gave his Son on the cross to be our Lord Jesus Christ in order that the world might be rescued from sin. It's not just about your religious opinion. It's about our need for that kind of saving. And it means something else for us, too. It means that if that's, if that's the character of the world we live in, that us being Christians isn't just a hobby that we engage in. 
God's calling to us is to, is to take all of our energy and all of our life and direct it towards his goal to see the world rescued from the evil one who wreaks havoc in our present evil age. And this can't merely be some hobby. It must be the call of our lives. One of the things that our family was so grateful for when we came to Hillcrest was a sense that that resonates deeply here at Hillcrest. In the compassion and the care for people around us in Kansas City area, generosity in so many different ways, and a concern for what God could do around the world and is doing around the world and our invitation to partner in it. And so I want to just invite you to hear a little bit of the story of the way that God is inviting us to engage in his mission to see the world rescued from the evilness that the evil one wants to use to wreak havoc in the world. So first of all, I want to just share a video with you that um, Bakash brought from Nepal telling a story of the ministry that they're involved in, and then Bakash and Drew will come up and we'll have a chance to be able to have a conversation. But watch this now. My name is Angdoma Sherpa, and this is my story. I come from a very poor village south of Mount Everest. I contracted polio at the age of two, which crippled my legs. For 22 years, I crawled on the ground. Life was very difficult for me. I was unable to wear girls' clothing and had to wear trousers, which often tore as I crawled on the ground. My bare knees often developed bad sores. The people in my village would throw stones at me and tell me that I should die and not be alive. I was found by a doctor from a mission hospital. He asked me how he could help me. My dream was to one day walk again. Before coming to Kathmandu, I had never seen a car before. 
Kamandu was very frightening when I first arrived. There were so many people and so many cars. I had six operations to straighten my legs. It was incredibly painful. My treatment lasted for one year. This was a hard time for me. A lady named Goma from Sati Sewa came to visit me while I was in hospital. Before that, I knew no one in Kathmandu. I went to live at Sati Sewa and they showed me God's love. Sati Sewa taught me about Jesus. They helped me through this hard time in my life. When I learned about Jesus, I decided to follow him. God has changed my life and I am so happy.
So I want to introduce you to Bakash, and Bakash is from Nepal, and Drew, many of you know Drew Timberlake, and Drew and his family were commissioning actually this morning, and they're headed for uh, Kathmandu for 10 weeks now coming up here. So Bakash, that's home for you. Yes. Can you put your mic up there? Yes, that's home. <laughs> <laughs> we're really glad that you're here with us. And that was your mom, actually, yes. who was caring for this young woman. Yes. And your dad, I saw him in the wheelchair there as part yes. of the baptism. That's yes. right, mom and dad. Yes. So tell us, tell us about the, the church um, that you're part of in Kathmandu. Uh, the, our church name is uh, Sundar Dhoka, which literally means a beautiful gate church. Uh, and this is uh, probably the first church uh, that is reaching out to the disadvantaged or people with disabilities or the outcasted of the uh, people group in Nepal. So the X3, tell us about that. Yeah, uh, John and Peter uh, uh, went to the temple and the, the, the gate called a beautiful gate and there was a crippled man uh, begging. Uh, and so, so John and Peter said, I don't have a silver roll or, or gold to give you, but uh, whatever I have, I can give you. So John and Peter gave their hands and the crippled man also gave his hands up. They pray in the name of Jesus. He was healed. As soon as he is healed, he walked, he danced, he went to the temple and worshiped our God. <laughs> so you have a whole congregation of people that have seen healing of one sort or another and are worshiping the Lord. Amen. Yeah, that, that's really <laughs> good. So because I was going to ask you how this whole thing started, but Drew's sitting over there and he's just anxious to tell the story. <laughs> He's the best person to tell it. <laughs> <laughs> so Drew and I actually, yeah. uh, Drew took me through Kathmandu, through rougher streets than that actually on the back of a motorcycle. Yes. And so uh, Drew has been over there. How many times have you been to Kathmandu? I've been there four times now. Four times. So, yeah. so, so Lauren's wanna, been once. So. And Lauren's been once. Yeah. And I want to I hear how this whole thing happened. Sure. And sure. Drew, why don't you share the story yeah. and then Pagash can just kind of correct you as you. Sure. Yeah. I, I was uh, just talking to Lauren last night because uh, he was telling our story to some of the Bhutanese boys uh, who we are hoping will, this will rub off on and that they'll catch the same vision. But anyway, I was telling Lauren last night, I said, you know, every time I tell this story to someone, I think I'm embellishing details. I, I've got to be embellishing details. So I wanted Bakash to tell it last night, and I said, I'm not. I'm, if anything, I'm not giving enough credit to God's story. It's just, it's just too amazing. So, but anyway, one of the things to know uh, about the story is really to know the, the culture there first. And so Nepal is, is a Hindu uh, nation, and um, it, so is India, you know. So Hinduism is really the, the prevalent uh, thought over there. And, and one of those things is that, you know, we exist today and, and, and the good things that come to us today are because we've done good things in our past life, in our previous incarnation. And bad things that happen to us today are because of, of, of bad things that we've done in our previous incarnation. And so that, that breeds a whole caste system and other things. And so, uh, but one of the really tragic things about that is when bad things happen to people, it's because they've done something bad in their past life. So not only is that bad thing happening to you, but there's all the shame and guilt for something that you supposedly did in your past life that you don't know about. So and it's not only the shame and guilt of the circumstances you're yes. in, but it's all of the things that are part of your identity. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so, and so it's tragic. And so the poor get poorer and the wealthier get wealthier. And um, so anyway, the story with Bakash begins with uh, his father, who was very well off, a high caste, 
uh, had lots of land, lots of cattle, uh, uh, animals, and different things, and would live a, a relatively easy life over there. And uh, Bikash's dad uh, got married to a young woman. At, I think the young woman was 13. Yeah. And your dad was how old at the time? Eighteen or nine, maybe twenty. Okay. I think something so like this. We're not just recommending this, by the yes. way. Yes, yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she's thirteen. They get married. She gets pregnant at fourteen. She gets pregnant, and uh, then one day his father is climbing a tree, and he falls out of the tree and he breaks his back, and um, the family thought that he was going to die. They were uh, in a remote place, not in Kathmandu, which is really the only large large city there. And so uh, they took his father away to the hospital. Well, uh, meanwhile, his, his, uh, his wife, Goma, is 14 years old and pregnant. Uh, by this time, she turns 15, and she ends up having Bakash. Uh, but there is a lot of shame because of what's happened. So the family has really disowned their son, has pushed them away, has taken away all of their land, all of their cattle. His, uh, uh, Bakash's dad's brothers came and took that all. And there was the shame, just complete shame on top of that. And so there was no care for Goma, the 15-year-old now who's pregnant. And so Goma is by herself in a barn and delivers Bakash in a, in a barn uh, where the cows all, are. All by herself. All by herself. And, um, and that's kind of how their story began. So now she has the baby, and she goes to the hospital to where, uh, where her husband is, and she's taking care of him for I don't know how long, many, many months, and is sleeping on this little stool at the bottom of the bed, begging for food, uh, doing all these things to try to take care of, of her husband. And one of the things that, I won't go into the details, but the medical system there is one in such that they actually have decent doctors, but there's none of the care that surrounds it. So when there's uh, something that's needed, you know, uh, you know, Goma had to run out and go, you know, take the blood to get sampled or go to a pharmacy and try to find the medicine. So the doctor would say, okay, now we need, you know, to go get some, this type of blood. So she'd have to go to the blood bank to get the bags of blood and bring it back. So there's none of that care that surrounds it. And, uh, and so that was really how this, this whole story begins, is, uh, is through that, um, they, this tragedy and all these things that are going on, they meet some uh, missionaries, I guess, uh, doctors, and they learn about, they learn about Jesus. And, uh, and then I'll, I'll let you tell kind of the story from there of, of where the, how the church began. And then we moved to Kathmandu, and then when we moved to Kathmandu, then my parents started going to a church, but uh, the leaders that time didn't have a clue of understanding the disability and how to deal with it. So because of that reason, my father got frustrated going to the church, and he also found another <coughs> friends like him who are in a wheelchair got frustrated going to the church. They said that, why don't we start fellowships only for people with disabilities, and they say, we won't be a part of any able-bodied church. So that we have a church service in Nepal on Saturday. They said, we'll have a church service ourselves only on Sunday, only for disabled people. So for the 10 years of our church service, only the people on the, our church was the people with disabilities. 
uh, amputees, ex-leper, cancers, all kind of people you can think of. They're all there. And, and only the able body, they allowed to be part of that church by mom, my mom, because she could help them to cook food or prepare them and take them to the hospitals. Did they allow you to be part no, of it? No, they didn't allow me. <laughs> no, my, like I just go and push my dad and my dad would say, come after two and a half hours and receive me. Are you serious? Yes. Well. <laughs> he didn't allow me. And, and, and so, so, so that's how we started. And uh, we went afterwards. Uh, only, and later on, only the people that was allowed was a Bill over here, uh, who is a missionary. And so he's only the next one to be allowed. And when he came, uh, he helped us spiritually boost up our church. And we went and talked with our parents that we want our church to be open for everyone. And we want to be part of our church. So it took us a, a year of reconciliation, I call it, <laughs> with the able body, and they opened the door for us. And we realized that the Great Commission is also for us. God has even called us, even we have a, a disability in our body, in physical body. Uh, we, God has called us for a Great Commission. So how should we reach out to the, those remote parts of Nepal? How do we share Christ um, beyond our disability and other people? And so we find a great program is called Passive Navigator. Actually, uh, we found a patient, a totally burned case, third degree, and hospital was not looking after her. She needed a place to stay. None of the hotels were taking. She, she needed a what? A place, place to stay. To yes. stay. A peasant. Is yes. That right? yeah. And so someone asks if we can help her and uh, she can stay in our church. And she stayed in our church. We help her to get treatment, uh, and both husband and wife got baptized. They went home back, and they started a small fellowships, and we realized that God is calling us to start this ministry to help sick people who are coming to Kathmandu from the remote parts of Nepal for medical treatment in Kathmandu, and we share gospels to them by uh, being a living witness of Christ through our work. So how many regions of Nepal are there? There are six. There are 75 districts in and, Nepal. And how many districts has? Uh, 64. Your church has influenced yes, 64 four districts, districts of in Nepal. Nepal. Hmm. Hmm. But I thought you were disabled. Yeah. <laughs> God choose the weak things of this world. God yeah. choose the foolish things of this world. Yeah. So that no can boast before Him. So how do people respond when they see people from your church, disabled, no, no, missing limbs, deaf? Um, what, what kind of impact, what kind of impression does that have on people who have this idea of what the way the world is supposed to work? You know, it was hard for some of times of our community. When we started a church, when we moved our small fellowships out of our house to a rented room, we get problems. So we started shifting from one place to another place because they doesn't like people with disabilities. And um, right now, because of how we work and government are recognizing us. I mean, you were kicked out of those places oh, because yes. you had disabilities and yes. outcasts. Okay. Yes. And now government is? And now government is recognizing that how much... Uh, uh, the work we are doing helping sick people and people with disabilities to get and even last year government has recognized that we are one of the best non-profit organization in Nepal hmm. and so God has really blessed us so that means we have learned that is to rely on God to, to say yes to him and uh, I call that our experience with God is roller coaster experience mm -hmm. he takes up we find when he takes down within we are going but he is there with us all the time. We get that. We get that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, is, so God took a young man who was way up here. 
yes. as far as culture and, every, and, and riches and all of that, yeah. and puts him in the hospital. Yes. He walks out. He doesn't walk out. He's no. in a wheelchair for He's the rest of his life. Hmm. And a 15-year-old mom. Yes. And, shares, and they hear about Jesus. Yes. And they care for people. Yes. And people all over Nepal are learning about a God who loves and dignifies people. It's like mm. the world, you, Drew, you mentioned this, it's like yeah. the world just turned upside down. It's the upside down kingdom at it. I mean, it's, it's, it's what it is. And, you know, being in that room, I, I don't know if in the video you saw, you know, everyone's dancing and singing and, you know, that's, that's their church. Actually, they have a new building now, but that's, that's the church that I know that I've been there with. And, you know, it, it's amazing. Uh, I'm not sure what percentage of people are handicapped there, but I mean, you see. 80% still. There you go. 80%? Yeah, and so, you know, they're wheeling people in. There's people who can't walk who are almost just kind of getting passed down to sit in this little crammed room. But there's no place you'd rather be than in that room because you know that God is there. And, you know, when I read and listen to this story uh, of, of how God has used, you know, broken people and the whole idea of an up down, upside-down kingdom, then I'm realizing, you know, it's these broken people who are the, the people that I want to be closest with, you know, to be in that room, to be near them, and, because that's where God's moving. That's where God's, God's using this mm. brokenness. And so Angoma's story, I mean, every time I watch that video, I, I cry. I just can't, I can't not cry at that. But that's just one story. I mean, that whole room is full of stories just like this, of God using not just, you know, these poor people, but the broken people who are outcast from their communities in these villages in the Himalayas. And they're coming, you know, to Kathmandu to get, get care. They want physical care. And uh, I know that more than 50% of them that come through this ministry that, that is done from the heart come to know God uh, and come to know this rescuer. And they come back to their village and they can't do anything but just be joyous because their whole life is turned around. It's not just the physical healing. I, I laugh when I see that video that her dream came true, you know, and she's walking, but she's, you know, she's hobbling along. And, you know, that's part of it is, yes, now I can walk and, and there's dignity in that. But really, it's, it's this, the shame is gone. There's a God that loves me, and she's just going to share that story. And so God's using these broken people to spread his kingdom in, in, into places that we can't go. It's, it's just amazing. So cool. Because we're so glad you're with us. Thank you. You're going to be here after, at lunch and yeah. share some more things. And so we're going to send... Uh, we're going to pray for and send off Drew. Do you mind hosting him there in Kathmandu? Yes, yes. I'm having a really exciting, and I'm looking forward for our exciting, adventurous time together. Yeah. Whenever <laughs> Drew comes to Nepal, I always think it's going to be adventurous. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so yeah, much. Let you me guys. tell you about yeah. that. Yeah. The, the video, Angdoma, uh, right now she's married. She's, uh, two years ago, she married a boy in a wheelchair. And now they have a one-year-old beautiful daughter, and she's part of our staff team, and she is sharing Christ and gospel to others like her. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> you know, it, 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 God's word says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And uh, here's a man in a wheelchair, and a whole church filled with people who are disabled. And they would say, and I, I, I've heard them say, they, they've never felt more free. They've never felt more free. And that's what God wants for us, uh, and that's what he wants for those people around the world. An upside-down kingdom where 
the whole world tells them that they are worthless. And God sees what he made, the image of God in every single human being and, uh, and, and, and wants them to know how much he loves them and gives us the privilege of being conveyors of that message in so many different ways. So would you please pray with me? My Father, we thank you so much for how good you are and for how rich we are when we, when we understand the freedom you give us to live and walk in newness of life. And Lord, we uh, thank you for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray.